Welcome, welcome, welcome everybody to the first episode of Spoleto Backstage 2019 presented to you by South Carolina Public Radio. I am Adam Parker, the arts writer at the Post and Courier, and I will be your host for this series. I'm very excited. We have lots of people we're talking to, all involved with Spoleto Festival USA 2019. We'll be talking to David Vereas, a Cuban pianist. We'll be talking to Jeff Nuttall, who runs the Chamber Music Series. And of course, we'll be talking to Nigel Redden, general director of the festival. He's been with the festival for nearly 30 years. But before I introduce you to Nigel, I want to tell you just very briefly about the festival and how it came to be. Back in 1958, Spoleto, Italy, beautiful little town in central Italy, a famous musician, composer, Giancarlo Menotti, decided he wanted to start an arts festival. And that's what he did. And he called it the Festival dei Due Mondi, the Festival of the Two Worlds. This was 1958. In fact, early on, Nigel Redden served as an intern there in Spoleto, Italy, and got a good taste of what was going on. Anyway, fast forward to the 70s, and Menotti is searching for the second of his two worlds, and he settles on Charleston after a lot of lobbying and a lot of pitching and a lot of parties and whining and dining. Mayor Joe Riley and many others convinced him. And voila, 1977, we have Spoleto Festival USA. And uh, Nigel served as general director of Spoleto Festival from the mid-80s to the early 90s. Then he took a break, and then he came back in the mid-90s, and he's with us still today. Like I said, almost 30 years. Pretty amazing. All right, so picture this. We're at the Murray Building, this beautiful four-story, yellow, historic old home in Charleston that was donated to Spoleto Festival years ago and refurbished and up on the very top floor, you walk up these beautiful old wooden steps. There's an elevator, but I always take the steps. It gives me exercise. I regret it by the time I'm at the top, but whatever. And I get up there, and there's Nigel in this beautiful corner office, and we settle in, and we put the microphones out, and we're worried because there are workers right outside the window. They're repointing the facade or something like that, and we're worried that the rattle is going to interfere with the interview. We keep the windows closed, and it turns out that it all works just fine. And here's Nigel sitting across from me, and we're going to talk now about the festival. Hi, Nigel. Hi. I have a bunch of questions for you. Terrific. How does it work? How do you put it together? What is the mechanism behind everything? You know, there's, there's all this backstage stuff going on, more broadly speaking, that most people don't really know about. Well, there are some parts of the festival that are, I, I wouldn't say a template, but they certainly... Uh, are repeated year after year. We have wonderful chamber music concerts. And the, 13 co- the 13 different programs are chosen by, um, by Jeff Nuttall. And th- uh, even though they're always different, the, the chamber music differs from year to year. Nonetheless, there's a kind of continuity there. Uh, we have our, uh, the Westminster Choir that comes every year. Uh, Joe Miller selects a program for uh, the a cappella concerts. And we also do a certain number of, of other uh, concerts with the uh, Westminster Choir. So those are standard. We have our own orchestra, which is auditioned around the country. And that is a stable part of the festival, even though, again, the members of the orchestra change from year to year. And so that, that that's sort of a given. Then 
the first part is really what operas are we going to do. Right. Uh, the operas really need to be decided earlier than the other parts of the program, simply because it takes time to produce something, to find the right director, to find the right designers, to find the right singers, and so on. And yeah, that, these are not tours coming through. The operas are actually produced by the festival from scratch. They're produced by the festival from scratch. And sometimes they're world premieres. Sometimes they are pieces that are standard rep. This year, of course, we're doing Salome, which is, is a piece that is, is regularly done. We're also doing The Path of Miracles, which is a much less... Well, in fact, it's, it's, a, it's more an oratorio than an opera, although we're considering it as a staged piece. So it's going to be staged in the Gilliard, uh, and it's a, a relatively new uh, work by Joby Talbot. It's wonderful music. And those pieces come first. Then we often have the idea of a play uh, that we've had, we've worked on for a number of years. When I say we, I, I work very much with the artistic leaders of the festival, that is, that Joe Miller, who's the director of our chorus, John Kennedy, who's our resident conductor and director of orchestral activities. Jeff Nuttall does not really get involved in things other than chamber music, although occasionally he does uh, do other things as well. And then uh, Nicole Taney, who is our director of artistic planning and operations, a title that's perhaps, we've got to work on that title, but anyway, who's terrific. So we all work together or somewhat separately, depending on exactly what it is that uh, we're working on, to find the right dance, to find the right play. And somehow these pieces have to fit together. Then we also have an advisor in jazz, Larry Blumenfeld, who uh, writes for the Wall Street Journal, uh, among other things, has a, uh, a festival in Maine that he runs, who has done a very, very good job on our jazz program in the last few years. Then we work with other organizations in town. So we are working with the Gibbs for Black Refractions, this, uh, the exhibition from the Studio Museum in Harlem. Uh, we've worked with the Garden Conservancy, or, uh, Conservancy on Behind the Garden Gate, and in, in other years, we've worked with other members of the community. So do you, as general director, have a hand in selecting everything, or do you focus on a couple of particular genres? Ultimately, my job is to see that it is not simply a Chinese menu, that it's not simply, you know, you can have one of this and one of the other thing, but that there is some coherence, and the coherence is difficult to judge and is a very sensitive thing, at least in my mind. So the pay no attention to the girl, we chose it because I think it's a fascinating play, but it's also a counterpoint to A Thousand One Nights. Of course, the, the girl in Pay No Attention to the Girl is Scheherazade. And what Scheherazade did was to tell these stories so that the grand sheikh or whatever he was would wouldn't not kill, kill her, her. Yeah. wouldn't kill her he she specifically didn't want him to pay attention to her she wanted him to pay attention to the story and of course that's a very contemporary take on the story of Scheherazade a thousand one nights i think is going which the uh, Caracalla Dance Company is going to bring from Lebanon is a very different take on the same story and i thought that it was fascinating to see two very different and contemporary uh, takes on this same same set of uh, issues, which obviously one can look at through the Me Too movement, through the eyes of of um, you know sort of contemporary politics. And um, the letter to my friend in Gaza is all, I mean it's also a very 
personal piece. It's in fact going to be the world premiere of this piece, although uh, Amos Kitai, who is the director and the creator of the piece, has done a film, a short film, based on what this will be, uh, which is kind of reminiscence of a letter that Albert Camus published in 1943 during World War II called A Letter to My German Friend, in which he and the putative German friend debated the morality of what was going on in Germany at the time. And I think all of us can say we know now very clearly what the end of that story should be, that there should have been complete moral condemnation. And this is much more of a rumination on what is going on between Israel and Palestine. I've also noticed that uh, in the last few years, the dance offerings have been very strong, really interesting, very diverse, uh, pushing the envelope. What's going on there? Is this just by chance, or are you making a concerted effort? This year you have three coming, but last year, as I recall, there were five different productions. Uh, We had wanted to bring the Caracalla Dance Company from Lebanon last year and had um, talked to them about coming uh, last year, and that didn't work out. But Ivan Karakala was able to come during the festival last year just to see what it was like. And he was smitten, which I hope everyone who does come to the festival, and I hope they all feel the same way, but he thought that it was a, a, a really wonderful place for his company to be seen. And this is probably, well, certainly the largest company, and I, I think without question, the best company, dance company in the Middle East. And I, uh, I mean, with the exception perhaps of, of some of the Israeli companies that are also really quite wonderful. Uh, but bringing a company from Lebanon is not the easiest thing in the world. It's not the easiest thing technically because we need to get visas for everyone. Uh, and in the, the recent past, let's say, it has been difficult to bring artists from countries other than Israel in the Middle East. I mean, it's been, it's been really quite difficult. But I think it's important to do, and it's important to see this company not necessarily as, as, as a representative of Lebanon, but to see this company as uh, a, a group that is making interesting work in, in a part of the world that you know, we, we really don't know particularly well. Most of us don't know well at all. And, and the um, Hervé Kubi, the company Hervé Kubi, which is on the opening weekend, is also actually from the Maghreb, is, is from North Africa, and some of the dancers are from as far, far south as Chad. They are individuals who came to France um, as immigrants, and the, the work itself is based in street dancing. But these guys, and they can move in a way that is quite spectacular, mm. I mean, really spectacular. And Hervé Kubi himself has been exploring his own background as a um, piano noir, as, as someone who has Algerian roots. His, his grandfather was Arabic. Uh, but he was fascinated to use dancers from that part of the world. And then Bill T. Jones. Bill is, is a phenomenon. He, I've known him for now getting on. He's towards. become a Spoleto mainstay almost. Well, he's, he's, he's an artist who has explored his own background. He's African-American who grew up as a member of a very large family. He is a mesmerizing mover. He's in his 60s now, and I saw him dance, oh, several months ago. Yeah, he can still move. And he can still move in a way that I wish I could have moved when I was 20, but 
I, that was not to be. Now, he's an amazing mover. And he is investigating issues of memory and heritage. So the first piece uh, of this trilogy that we're presenting is called Dora, and it's about his mother-in-law, who was a uh, who was Jewish during well, she's still Jewish, but um, had was in um, I think in Poland, um, but certainly in Central Europe during World War II and fought against the Nazis. And then the second one is about his nephew Lance, who wanted to be a dancer and succumbed to drugs and had a very difficult time. Fortunately, he's come out the other end to some extent, but again, it's, it's a, a family portrait. And then the final one is Ambrose, which is a made-up story on some level, and it's about a, an explorer or, or someone who is, works with a family and uh, it deals with the relationship between uh, the servant and the master, or the whatever, and those, those kinds of, of relationships. But the, the, the three pieces are each danced differently with the story being told and having words and, music and, and movement go together I think works phenomenally well in each of these pieces. So uh, an- another common practice of the festival is to work with some people in the community. Outside the festival, you're working with the Gibbs Museum on the Black Refractions show. The Studio Mu- uh, Museum of Harlem uh, is sending a bunch of pictures on tour and uh, the Gibbs is going to get a whole bunch of them, and you're involved in that. And uh, also the Garden Gate, you mentioned earlier, you work with uh, local conservationists and garden people. And then your finale is always somewhere interesting. This year it's in a new location, Riverfront Park in North Charleston. Charleston. Uh, So we've gone to Riverfront Park, which is a beautiful, beautiful park in a fascinating part of North Charleston, uh, near where the, the officers' houses were, uh, as part of the naval base, and it's a beautiful space on the Cooper River, and you you see up uh, the Cooper, and we will have fireworks, of course, and Good. it um, I, I think it's going to be a, a really quite wonderful event. So uh, you're you're obviously partnering with members of the community, and there's a little bit of outreach as well, right? The, doesn't the chamber group? We we do a certain amount of outreach with all of the companies that come uh, that can do outreach. I mean, obviously, there's a certain amount of limitations given the, the, the length of time that the festival runs and just the, the, the number of performances that people do. The chamber music artists do 33 performances in the course of... Uh, two a day. Uh, yeah, two a day. <laughs> Nonetheless, they are eager to do some outreach, and so they've worked with children at Sanders Clyde, which is an elementary school, and we've also done for a number of years um, a... Uh, something called Azure, which is a concert for people who are on the spectrum, for children who are on the spectrum. It's difficult for parents and for the children to be in a in a setting where making noises and expressing right. themselves is frowned on or in a fact lot not of allowed. stimulation is so, part of the problem. Yeah. So, um, so we we do that as a kind of a, a Steve special Prutzman, event. who's a regular with the Chamber Group, uh, spearheads that, and 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 Jeff and his colleagues are very amenable, very helpful, always available, always ready to to welcome uh, these families. No, and, and I think it, that's very special. We also do master classes with some of the, the dance companies that come through do master classes. Uh, so that there's, there's a, a range of, of activities that we do. Thank you, Nigel Redden. Well said. Very interesting. This is uh, shaping up to be a pretty interesting festival, don't you think? 
So uh, let me be the first to tell you this. Jeff Nuttall is now in his 10th year, 10th anniversary. Congratulations, Jeff. He is the director of the Chamber Music Series, and the Chamber Music Series is really a cornerstone of the festival. It's been there since the beginning. It was part of the festival in Spoleto, Italy. It was run by Charles Wadsworth for all those years in Italy and in the United States, and it has really become one of the the hottest tickets. So if you don't like classical music, or if you think you don't like classical music, you might want to go check out one of these shows. This could change your mind. Classical music is primarily chamber music. The vast majority of all the music ever written in the world is technically chamber music. And so there's a huge, vast repertoire from which Jeff draws. And he brings these world-class musicians in to the Dock Street Theater and puts on two shows a day for the course of the festival. And it's really, really fun. I think he's got some interesting programming tricks up his sleeve, including several unannounced pieces. And uh, South Carolina Public Radio's Bradley Fuller is going to talk to him right now. Well, Jeff, it's great to have you again. Great to be here, Bradley. Now, this is your 10th year as host and director of the Spoleto Festival USA Chamber Music Series. Has your approach to this changed much in that time? Uh, Maybe subtly. I'm always trying to improve and get better and and make people happier and not work my artists to the bone. But I think the model that Wadsworth set in place uh, those many years ago is still the one that we follow to this day with some minor tweaks. So yes and no, I guess, to answer your question. That's Charles Wadsworth, the former artistic director of the series. The man. and and The godfather, so to speak, yeah. (laughs) You're even making a nod to him, I understand, this year with something you haven't done before. Well, I thought, you know, it's an excuse to try something slightly different because for those of you who remember back in the Dark Ages, this chamber music program started in Spoleto, Italy, and Giancarlo Minotti wanted Charles to present an hour-long-ish program, but with, with no printed program whatsoever. So you sort of knew the stable of artists that were going to be there each year. And then you just went on faith and you'd show up and you didn't know what you're going to get. And that continued when the festival moved to Charleston in the 70s and continued until I took over when we started printing the program. So I thought as a tip of the cap, so to speak, to, to our fearless leader and founder, Charles Wadsworth, it would be a nice uh, gesture to have a few surprises, a few things that we're not going to print in the program, just to remind people of where, you know, where we started and where we came from. And of course, I, I don't want you to spoil it all, but do you have any hints, any indications, riddles maybe that, that might just give some indication as to what these are? A couple of them are things that you won't believe. I mean, it's the sort of thing that if you had to guess what it would be, you would never guess. It's sort of slightly unbelievable. Things that you you might not necessarily imagine being programmed on a chamber music series. So that that's all, all, all I'm going to say. I think uh, there are things that I'm super excited about, but also quirky, really off the beaten path. And if you saw them in print, you may do a double take. So I think it's, it's going to be super fun. Sounds good. And this year we have Paul Wianco as the chamber music series composer in residence. Now, is this his first time in this role? First time he'll be, and he's, you know, one of these, there's so many of this generation of composers, whether it's Joshua Roman or Doug Balliot, in this case, Paul Wianco, they're players as well as performers. It's really going back to the, to the days of Haydn and Mozart, where there was no delineation between performing and composing. Everybody did both. 
And so Paul's another one of this super talented young group, great cellist, and he'll be both playing and presenting a new world premiere. You mentioned this return to a practice of kind of composer performers. Do you consider the chamber music series as a whole being something of uh, maybe uh, a return to performance practice back in the day, a more intimate salon setting or, or something maybe that's been lost to an extent? Well, no, I just, I mean, I think it's really simple and especially magnified in today's age of the internet where you have available at your fingertips any piece of music ever written on YouTube. I mean, you just click YouTube, you can listen to it. But for me, what the magic is, a small, quiet space like Dock Street Theater with some history and some wood, some people sitting attentively and focused and listening and interacting with the music and great players playing great music. Uh, I don't think it gets any better. And what I like to do is... The only thing I'm doing that's maybe different is pushing the boundaries of the repertoire. So whether it be solo percussion or Renaissance polyphony or new music for whatever, I just, I think it all works. And I think for me, different sorts of music of all genres speak to each other and Schubert makes Wianco sound better and vice versa as an example. So that's that's my goal, um, whether it's solo piano or solo I mean, we have a lute player this year, or whether it's the Schubert Octet. All these things work, but they don't work any better than sitting in the hall at Dock Street Theater listening to these incredible players. What do you see is the biggest challenge that, that might not appear that way to someone in the audience? I mean, what for you is the really the biggest challenge in programming all of this? Man, well, I think I really messed up this year. I, I got so excited by a number of things. I've always wanted to do Appalachian Spring an amazing piece. It's seminal. And even if you don't think you know it, you will know it because these tunes are sort of fabric of society now. So I wanted to do that. Paul Groves, who's singing in uh, Salome at the festival, has agreed to sing and the Britain serenade for tenor, horn, and strings, which I was super excited to do as well, and Schubert Octet. So these three large-scale pieces I've always wanted to do, and we're doing them in the same year, and the logistics of that with rehearsal and extra players and Paul's opera schedule. So when you look at it on the page, it doesn't look that different than any other of the 11 programs that we do every year. But believe me, the, the rehearsal schedule has been a nightmare this year. It's, it's really hard. So I think for people, uh, and I say this every year, but I think it's even more problematic this year. If you look at the program, you think, oh, that's lovely. They're playing these programs and they're twice a day. But you don't realize, as an example, on any given day, our players are in the hall for an 845 dress rehearsal and they rehearse until eight or nine that night after playing two programs. So it's it's 12 hour days often and really incredible. And it's it's only a, a bunch of people who love music more than anything else in the world that would be okay with that workload. So I'm, I'm so thankful, and I hopefully they won't mutiny this year, but uh, it's an amazing bunch of dedicated players that just love hanging out with each other and, and working together to make this come together. And that enthusiasm and love will be of importance, as you said, in a series that includes 11 different programs each of which is performed three times, so 33 performances. The first program, this is May 24th, 1 o'clock p.m., that concert begins. I noticed there's maybe what I would call a glass, Philip Glass, or a Handel sandwich. Uh, these songs that Philip Glass starts, Handel follows, and then another Philip Glass selection. That's a pretty uh, interesting suite there. 
Well, that's, you know, that's the tip of the cap to Anthony Roth Costanzo's new record, which is uh, nominated for a Grammy. And it's a whole record of uh, handle and glass. So I'm super psyched about that glass handle hit. It was a great idea by Anthony, and he managed to, he brought it together and made it happen. He is a force of nature unlike any other. And that first program also includes a Vivaldi piccolo concerto, a piano quintet by Dorknanyi, and you're introducing the audience right away to the composer in residence with Closed Universe by Paul Wianco. Yeah, super cool piece. He's going to play glockenspiel uh, as well as cello. So it's a, it's a really cool tonal landscape, solo cello with Chris Costanza playing. Uh, I'm really excited for them to meet Paul. He's He really is a, an interesting guy. And it's the return of Tar Helen O'Connor. I mean, she was not there last year. And so I thought this is a, a blowout celebration of her genius. And I love this, this C major piccolo concerto. I mean, first of all, I love Vivaldi. But this is just pure, ebullient, joyful music. It's, it's a, an amazing way. The first sounds of the festival with this piece, I, I couldn't be more excited. I'm, I'm so thrilled she agreed to do it. She's one of the most talented musicians I know, but her piccolo playing is really devastatingly good. It's, it's sort of breathtaking, actually, because it's, so, it's such a tiny little instrument, but she, she does things on it which you didn't think were possible. I'm really, I, the whole program, I mean, I guess, look, I'm always going to say this on every program, but mm-hmm. I, I love the, the Anthony set, introducing you to, to Wianco, which will be super cool, Steve Pretzman and Doc Nanye, which we, we've been rehearsing, it, one of my favorite pieces, and then the that opening with Vivaldi, just to put a smile on everyone's face, it's going to be amazing. Well, Jeff, all best with the Chamber Music Series this year, all the musical adventures, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. Thank you, Bradley. We'll see you in Charleston. Sounds great. So thanks, Bradley Fuller and Jeff Nuttall, for a very interesting conversation. Uh, we are going to pivot now to Cuba and talk a little bit about um, David Vereyes, who is a pretty astounding jazz pianist. He's collaborated with all kinds of people, including Henry Threadgill, and, uh, and he's collaborating with an important percussionist this time around who's going to play with him on concerts that he's giving in the recital hall, Roman Diaz. So let's hear about it directly from the horse's mouth. Hi, David. Hello. Uh, you're talking to me from New York City, which is your home these days, right? That's right. So what are you doing these days? Who are you playing with? Are you playing with your trio or are you playing these small solo shows like you'll be doing in, at Spoleto? I'm involved in a few different projects. For example, I just played a, a concert at the Kennedy Center with uh, Pulitzer Prize winner uh, Henry Threadgill. As far as my own work, I've been focusing on uh, some solo piano shows, yeah. which is actually some uh, some of the concerts that I'll be doing. As Poleto will be will be solo, but I will joining me will also be uh, Cuban percussionist Roman Diaz. Well, we'll talk about that in a minute. I'm very interested in, in knowing a little more about what you'll be doing. But mm-hmm. in general, it sounds like you're sort of on the cutting edge of jazz and almost experimental jazz. You're doing all kinds of interesting things with very interesting people like Ravi Coltrane. How would you characterize the the, the style of music you play? Well, that's uh, a little difficult for me to do because I don't really think of my 
of music in general, in terms of style, I, I'm interested in different uh, musical roots, different types of musical traditions. And, and when it comes to that, I, you know, obviously I'm from Cuba, so I try to study different things that I grew up with. And, and But, you know, we have a lot of different gen genres of music and a lot of different uh, lineages, traditional lineages. So I'm, you know, I'm invested in, in investigating that, finding a way of approaching it in some type of, uh, you know, contemporary way. So that's, you know, that's basically some of, some of the work that I've been doing. But every part of my interest, too, is uh, the tradition of, of jazz or improvisational music uh, here in, in the United States. So tell me, tell me more about the drums. I'm, I'm interested. To, so you're, you're doing a couple of shows, just solo piano at Spoleto Festival. Mm -hmm. But then you have your percussionist That's right. joining you. And the drums, I mean, I've been listening to a little bit of your music, and percussion is key these Cuban rhythms and, and all that that you're integrating, and yet you're, you're combining that with a lot of really interesting, experimental, improvisational music making. So tell me a little bit about your approach to music and what it is you're trying to express. <laughs> well, that's something I'm, you know, it's a, it's a work in progress. So I'm still trying to uh, figure it out myself. But, you know, you asked me about the drums. I basically adhere to the idea of the drums as in um, folklore music. So basically the drums has a ritualistic function. The, the drums is, is the heartbeat of the music. For me as a composer, it's also a means for orchestration. So by using the drums, I try to utilize the like all the different possibilities as far as, uh, as sound and timbre goes, because the drums have a lot of sonic possibilities. So that's something that I'm very interested in. When I, for example, when I work with Roman Diaz or when I work with someone like Andrew Surreal, you know, so that's, that's something that I'm interested in. And the piano itself, I consider it a percussion instrument. So that, for me, is an important aspect of, of music, you know, and an area, uh, area of interest, personally. So it's kind of a duet of equal parts of percussion piano and percussion drums uh, working together to create this sonorous effect, basically. Yeah, sometimes one element is going to be at the center more than the other one. But yes, you know, there are times when, when both things are working, you know, on the same level and then sometimes uh, the function of each element kind of varies. So it, it really it really depends. Pretty much at all times it's uh, spontaneous. Sometimes the, the, the functions are kind of predetermined, but a lot of things are spontaneous or, or you have a kind of a improvised feel. Tell me a little bit about how the solo piano show will work versus the show with percussion. Okay, well, the the solo piano show will focus on original compositions specifically for the piano, for, for solo piano, all original work. And shows with percussion will feature also some of my uh, piano compositions, but also some Cuban standards and, um, and some other better-known Cuban pieces that we kind of reworked for that format. Well, this is going to be very fascinating. I think a, a, a welcomed addition to Spoleto Festival USA to hear uh, your very interesting and very fine piano work. Thank you. I'm very, I'm very, we're both very excited and we're very looking forward to it. It's going to be great, David. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you. And safe travels and good luck with the gigs. Thank you. Surely you're intrigued, right? I mean, this is going to be interesting. 
I think. So uh, just to remind you, there's concerts on Saturday, May 25th at 7 o'clock, Sunday, May 26th at 5 and 7, Monday, May 27th at 5 and 7, and Tuesday, May 28th at 5. There's also a jazz talk, a conversation with David and Larry Blumenfeld scheduled for 7 o'clock Tuesday, May 28th in the recital hall. Here's our events calendar. Uh, I want to share a few picks now that we're at the end of uh, this episode, and we'll be doing this at the end of each episode, so um, be sure to listen all the way through. One thing that pops out at me is Esperanza Spalding, the young jazz musician. She also plays bass beautifully. She's not even 30 years old. She's already teaching at Harvard. She's amazing. She's part of the new generation, and she's playing two sets one at 9 o'clock on Friday, May 24th, and one at 9 o'clock on Saturday, May 25th in the Cistern Yard at the College of Charleston. A beautiful, beautiful setting. That's going to be pretty interesting, I think. And another thing that sort of pops out is this Music and Time series. That is uh, presented by John Kennedy uh, with the festival, and it involves a lot of new music and contemporary music and crossover stuff. And first up, I think, is the Living Earth Show. They're playing two sets, one at 5 o'clock on Saturday, the 25th, and one at 8 o'clock on Saturday, May 25th, at the Wolf Street Playhouse on Upper King Street. And that uh, should present some interesting listening as well. Uh, Another thing to consider is the opera, Zalome, with music by Richard Strauss, Uh, Spoleto Festival is not only a presenting organization, they also produce. And this is their big production this year. Uh, And it's a great opera. It's not terribly long. It's only about an hour and a half, two hours. And the music is wild and the story is crazy. And it's based on Oscar Wilde's telling of this famous tale. And uh, it should be pretty, pretty interesting. I think it's a contemporary production. The opera will be presented four times. 7.30 Friday, May 24th, 7.30 Thursday, May 30th, 3 o'clock Sunday, June 2nd, and 7.30 Wednesday, June 5th. And then one last possibility for you is the Punch Brothers. They are a string band, very, very talented, virtuoso musicians. So consider seeing Punch Brothers at 9 o'clock on Sunday, May 26th. So you got all that? Uh, Pretty great, right? Pretty eclectic uh, and lots more variety coming up. Uh, We'll stay tuned and we'll keep you well informed. So that was pretty great, right? I mean, you love that. You're addicted. You're you're, you're sucked into this. You're going to be listening to five more of these episodes, right, when they come out, because this was fabulous. Wonderful conversations. Informative. Interesting. I know. Spoleto Backstage is a production of South Carolina Public Radio, made possible by the ETV Endowment of South Carolina. The producer is A.T. Shire. The project director is Sherry Hutchinson. Production assistance by Alyssa Gustafson. Special thanks to Jesse Bagley and Jenny Willette of Spoleto Festival USA. If you want to hear us every time this podcast comes out, and of course you do, subscribe to us on NPR One, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to rate and review us. Five stars, please. Five stars. Five stars. Five stars. For Spoleto Backstage, I'm Adam Parker with The Post and Courier. 